Hey guys, thanks for listening. Before we get into the episode, we just wanted to remind you that the Guerrilla Social Work podcast sometimes discusses crimes that involve violence, sexual assault, and crimes against children. Even though we try to keep the conversation upbeat and informative, it won't be for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. What is up, Guerrilla Social Workers? Welcome to the Guerrilla Social Work Podcast with your hosts, Jeff, Red October Moore, and yours faithfully, Mace Warren. Jeff and I are both forensic psychotherapists discussing the world of clinical treatment for individuals involved in the criminal justice system. Today, we are sitting down to discuss somewhat of a controversial topic focused on a blog that Jeff posts several years back. Very much enjoyed this conversation with my pal. Hope you do too. Thanks again for listening to our tomfoolery, and if you haven't already, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and please share with a friend. Enjoy the episode, guys. Okay, I think we're good. Can you hear me? Are we live? Live. Live. Live and in full effect. This is uh, being recorded on New Year's Eve. Yeah. 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 Last podcast of 2021. We thought we were, we thought our last podcast was the charity one. Well, this one, this will still post by like uh, on the first okay. though, or So later. it's the first podcast of 2022 then. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But, but I mean, I don't know. Are you, uh, you ready for new year's, new year's Eve? Yeah. I'm going to have doing a, anything? a big night of probably sitting on the couch and calling it a night by 10 30. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I used to, it's so funny. Cause I think, uh, Oh, by the way, before I go on, I, I wanted to make it a point. Um, I gotta say those, those, uh, eggnog, delights or what whatever do you have a name for them i think that's what it is eggnog delight yeah dude those really hit the spot those are those are danger good. dangerously good you were a little worried about the amount of sailor jerry i was telling you to put in yeah i was also a little skeptical about sailor jerry because i'm i'm more of a captain morgan type guy mm. so yeah if any of our listeners are um of the adult beverage inclined how do you how do you make one of those all right so you get a just a regular size cup whatever it is uh Fill it half with eggnog, two shots of Sailor Jerry. Spiced rum. Spiced rum, yeah. And then fill it the rest of the way with Sprite, a little bit of nutmeg on the top. The The problem with eggnog for myself and apparently everyone else is it's, it's too damn thick. It's Yeah, know? it's like it's rich. It's rich. It's too yeah. much. The the Sprite, the, I don't know if it's just because it's you're cut, we're cutting with liquid or if the carbonation has something to do with it, but it really helps cut that down. Uh, Sailor Jerry just seems to blend well with the eggnog and yeah. I don't, it definitely, if you didn't have Sprite in there, there would be, there'd be something lost on that. It, yeah. it is definitely, I mean, it, it, it's one of those that, I mean, you know, there's of course, cause I'm, by the way, if anybody listens to this and they know me, I'm not a huge fan of alcohol to begin with. Like when people like you've told me before, you know, like, oh, yeah, that whiskey is good. I'm like, no, no, it's not. Not All of it tastes like crap. I was like, true, some of it tastes less like crap. It might be smoother crap, you know, like, but it still feels like gasoline going, you know, and I've kind of always thought that too, you know, like, 
when I look back on my days, I'm like, it all is tastes like garbage. And so if we, if, and most of our efforts are to not make it taste like acid, like that's what we're trying to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I, I guess you have to like decide what good means. It, it's like people try to get alcohol to taste sweet all the time. And I think that's where a lot of it gets really gross. And if you can, if your uh, taste is enough that it doesn't have to be sweet, if the, I don't know, it's, 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 I'm not going to try to sell you on that, you know, an 18 year old scotch is good because if it didn't have alcohol in it, probably wouldn't, you know, if it was just the taste alone and there wasn't the right alcohol in it, I can't see myself. I understand. I understand the concept of an acquired taste, you know, like I, that's why, you know, I I think if you you compare like Coors Light to Fat Tire or Sam Adams, I mean, you know, one's garbage and one's not. And people may say "Eh, beer is bitter and it doesn't taste good, but for some people they really like it. My thing is, is, I mean, I don't know if my body allows me to do it anymore. Like, oh, no. It's if so I different. tried to, if I tried to, um, during Christmas, by the way, how was your Christmas? Oh, great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I had a Christmas party with family and, uh, mostly family and, um, it, it, they were trying to get me to do a shot and it was supposed to be with this really good whiskey that, um, our buddy Alan had gotten for Christmas. And I'm like, I can't. I was like, I will throw up if you try to make me do a shot. And I, and I, I'm in there, you know, Oh, come on. Stop being a pussy. You know, all that stuff. I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm telling you, I'll just, I don't want to throw up. And so (laughs) I'm not going to do it. And I, and honestly, that's with everything anymore. So I hardly ever, ever partake in anything. And so I don't shoot the, the road to get there is just so steep, you know, the curve. I'm, and I'm glad I'm not there because anytime I, even drink more than like one beer or something. I just get a headache. So it's cause do, we're old now, dude, I guess so. It kind of, th- that's, that makes me think about new year's too. Cause new year's used to be, it's like a big event. Yeah. You know, you find a party, you go there, freak out, you know, get obliterated. Yeah. Uh, usually I was, I felt like awesome when I totally missed when new year's was, I remember one year we like totally missed it and we're, it was, it was, 2000 actually yeah the year everything was supposed to end <laughs> yeah y2k and we totally missed it you know and then yeah. none of all of us are idiots too i'm like well, wait a minute this happened two hours ago like somewhere <laughs> how yeah. come not everything's offline already you know yeah. and uh you know everybody was all prepared and then it was like 12 15 and i'm like oh and then i was like dude we missed it and i was like all right everybody let's just do our own countdown <laughs> <laughs> yeah. rallied everybody together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, more and more, even the idea of, I mean, can you imagine these days? And I, I know this sounds old and I suppose we are. Um, I turned 40 in like 17 days, but um, can you imagine going to somebody's house with a bunch of other people and just getting wasted and having to figure out a way to get home? Genuinely sounds terrible. Yeah. Like it seems, but why was that ever a good idea? Well, I don't, I don't know, man. Cause like if 22 year old version of me were listening to this podcast right now, I'd be like nerds. Yeah. Losers. Yeah. yeah, You guys got lame. That's what I think. Yeah. But, but I, I, if you look back on it, I mean, I go there and really I'm standing there sitting around talking to a few people that I'm there. I'm not really interested. I've never really been interested in meeting other people to begin with. And then, 
yeah, for, for whatever reason, it just was the thing to do, you know? And then it yeah. just one, one time I was just like, this is dumb and also a waste of time and also an unnecessary risk. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> what, what risk? Well, going there and I, um, you, for whatever reason, you've kind of dodged bolts. You've never been a guy that people just look at and want to start trouble with. I've never seen that with yeah, you. Yeah, not really. But with me, for whatever reason, it just, I have a look that, that guy looks like he'd be fun to start trouble with. <laughs> you have a punchable face. I don't mean? <laughs> and I mean, I'm not innocent in that effect, you know, but I, I would always worry about, okay, who's going to be there? Do I got to, you know, is this going to turn into drama and, and uh-huh. all the rest? Now, back in the day, well, that was fun, you know, but as an adult, I'm like, there's real consequences for this stuff. And so, um, so yeah, I just kind of got, got over it. And then I, I was thinking too, like, man, can you imagine like if it was just, uh, especially like if you go, like if you were just a bunch of, you know, um, young kids, high school kids or, um, or even early, like in bachelor's level, like undergrad kids, you know, and you know, you get a group of, I don't know, um, just, I don't know, unsuspecting, naive people, you know, going into this, this place, like not understanding the consequences of what they're getting into, you know? And then of course, inevitably the cops always come no matter what yeah. they're going to be coming there. Yeah. And also you're in a room full of strangers. Like a I lot don't of care times. to meet. Right. Yeah. And who knows what they're, I mean, you assume everything's going to be fine, but I've been to, there's all, always been all kinds of drama. So yeah, I kind of stay away, but that doesn't mean you should folks have fun. That's what college is for. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you have students listening to this, right? Yeah. Just a couple. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll have to follow up and check in with some of the youngsters, see if they still out are rabble rousers. <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> I, I rabble rousers. Well, we're old now. We get to use those words. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, even, ask if there's any ne'er-do-wells. Yeah. <laughs> even <laughs> though I'm pretty sure that, yeah, that word went out in like... Not even the twenties. Yeah. <laughs> rabble rousers. Oh, rabble rousers and ne'er do wells out running amok. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does it does uh it does kind of make me um to it get, does kind of is a good segue into the point that we're talking about today is like um because well well what are we talking about today? And then I'll I'll kinda harken it back to this. But you well, you had prepared a topic that you wanted to discuss and uh, so yes. we're gonna follow up on that. What do you want to talk yeah, about well, today? Well in short, uh sexual assault prevention we spend a lot of time i mean well all of our time uh in the reactive sense in that you know we you and i deal with sexual assault after it happens and um not a lot of our efforts clinically uh have have been invested in the prevention portion of it so this is kind of like some we're applying concepts treatment concepts to the everyday just lay person out there, give them an idea of some things to look for in order to avoid assault. Yeah. And, and that's what I, so I think, uh, like risk prevention to some degree or another is, is what I was referring to. Like if I'm going there, um, you know, it's always, and, and I, and I've seen this happen, especially with like females, you know, they, they come usually with a, a few, you know, few them their girlfriends and then they always have a ride and somebody's you know um never leave anybody alone and i don't know i've i've occasionally seen some uh i don't know questionable things going on with dudes 
because <laughs> mm-hmm. dudes are always the problem when it comes to that things. But um, yeah, it kind of it's good timing because I always think, OK, people are out New Year's. They're partying. It's just kind of a thing that happens. Um, and there is there is a level of risk that's associated with that. And not to say don't go party, but it's just saying kind of pay attention to this. Now, one thing that um, we were going to try to focus on today is because um, this is like you said, reactionary. This is always based on us providing education and some practical interventions to our clients. So and these are clients who have committed a sexual assault and are trying to avoid that again in the future. But you're saying that this application can work on the other side of this, that where somebody that has not yet been victimized can be aware of this and use this to their advantage. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. Okay. And when did all, when did you start thinking about this? Well, that's a good question. So a a couple of years ago, I, I was, I was thinking about this, um, ended up wrote a couple blog posts on it. And, but the the thing, what's your blog, by the way, it's the killer J dot wordpress.com. Is that an insane clown posse reference? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, for violent J. Um, this oh is the yeah. Killer J. Killer J. Yeah, there yeah. it is. So yeah. this, mu- this must've been an old one then. Yeah. This is, this is way down the line. Uh, so I guess we could find out exactly, uh, where it was that I well, posted it. But if they go there and scroll f- hard enough, they're going to find it. Yeah. You can well, just go there and scroll. It's just a per my personal blog. There might be some interesting things, but, but some people watch them and, and I thought you had a kind of a cool name for this, didn't you? The yeah, like tactical sexual assault prevention. Oh, something okay. Like that yeah, good enough. Anytime you throw the word tactical in, it's going to be cool. <laughs> yeah, tactical is a sweet word. Well, That's weird how some of those words just are pretty cool in and of themselves. But okay, enough yeah, on that. But yeah, well, there was a a, a book I read recently that kind of helped me. Well, want to talk about it here? It's called mm-hmm. it's called Left of Bang. Okay. Let's see. It's it's left of bang. How the Marine Corps combat hunter program can save your life. This left of bang. Left of bang. Okay. Patrick Van Horn is the so here, here's the idea. So it's it's a book all about prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, it's it's uh kind of some basic military concepts applied to civilian life. Kind of like we're using clinical concepts applied to everyday life. The idea is that you know that the way they present it to soldiers is that, you know, like a, an ambush when the enemy ambushes you, that's called, that's bang. Bang could be the gunshot. Bang could be the, the IED bang could be whatever, whatever, um, assault happens on our troops. And the, the encouragement is to think about this, the assault on a timeline with bang again, the event being in the middle. And so, uh, everything left of bang is all the pre-event indicators, all the, the, and everything right of bang is the aftermath. And so, so much as far as like treatment focuses on the aftermath and, you know, we end up clinically playing cleanup and, you know, people that are victims seek therapy and whatever reparations come their way. But, uh, the, as far as prevention, everything left of bang is where the, the, focus needs to be. And mm-hmm. like with the, the military application, they'd be, you know, maybe, maybe you'd consider, okay, if, you know, if this is like urban combat, um, are, is there any environmental changes? Are people acting differently? Is it quieter than usual? Is it louder than usual? Are there, are there people are there shifty looking people? Are mm-hmm. there, 
you know, vehicles that aren't supposed to be where they are just kind of the types of situational awareness that if troops have a, a good understanding of, they can, they can avoid the ambush to begin with and never have to, you know, run into whatever bang happens to be. And so applied to what we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the assault, whether it's, you know, sexual or even just otherwise, cause I mean, this, what we're going to talk about today applies to like just basic self-defense as well, I think, but bang is the attack. So bang doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with the military, right? Like the, the bang as a concept is whatever the, uh, the, the risk event is that you're trying to avoid. And when, when it comes to our clients, um, you know, there's a reason because we do tend to focus on right of bang when it comes to clients, right? Yeah. yeah. They have their, uh, sexual offense. They are, uh, they go to court, they're convicted. They come to, you know, prison or jail for, or go on probation for a period of time. And then they come into treatment. Okay. So that's all right of bang. And then even when we're working with them on the clinical side of things, we tend not to focus too much to on the event itself, um, mm-hmm. or too much about historical stuff. And there's, there's a good reason for that. Not because it doesn't matter. It's because beyond giving us context um, of events leading up to that and assessing whether or not there's a potential for similar events to happen in the future. For example, if they have any type of patterned type behaviors that Mm. are likely predictable again in the future, how are they going to move the needle on changing future behavior if we focus only on past stuff, right? So. Yes, on our end, it makes sense, but a thing that maybe you're kind of referring to and that I've always struggled with has been, well, that's fine, but, you know, we have to have that type of treatment for people who are, you know, clinical treatment for people who have committed felonies and whatnot, crimes. But uh, is there anything that we can do more on the prevention side to make sure these things never happen? But prevention's always kind of a murky subject. It's almost like, did my, did whatever I did prevent it or, you know, cause there's, you could never know. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but you're, um, but this isn't about, we, we certainly talk about preventing these things in the future and having context of what they did in the past. And as many of you know, listening to this, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so we're working off of uh, you know, a pretty rich source of information there. Um, it's good for preventing future behaviors, but the behavior has to happen in the first place. So you're saying there's things on the other end of this everyday people that they can do to avoid sexual assaults in the first place based on this kind of left to bang theory that, yeah, that pretty well sets up exactly what I'm, what I'm going for. Good. And just to kind of follow up on what you were saying, like when you know, we talk about lifestyle factors and, you know, the, the pattern of behaviors that people engage in that might keep a dysfunctional, um, potentially assaultive behavior going. And yeah, since we're dealing, like you said, since we're dealing with it after the effect, we try to get clients adept at identifying the, maybe the motivations that they had, the, the behaviors that led up to it. And then, you know, when we bring their family into it, you know, we get approved supervisors. We ideally pull the family into it all designed to help them prevent it from happening again. And 
the 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 thing is is that it it's always based around the our client the offender and and their family and it's always after the fact and what what I'm going to be talking about here I, I don't want to give any false pretenses that it's going to like if you do these things you'll you'll be safe because there's way too many variables but the the context of what we're talking about it it's uh it gives you some a general understanding of what the you know what a potential offender is is thinking and feeling up to and during the assault and if if you can understand that and it's it sounds weird to say have you know if you can put yourself in the shoes of a potential attacker and understand where they're coming from you can in theory be able to avoid things uh you know avoid an attack and well some it isn't uh, the other thing that people are going to i mean so we might as well get it out there is that um and and i'm sure we're going to address this a few different times but uh i mean this starts to go down the road of victim blaming right like this is so we shouldn't even be having this conversation um about what you can do on your end to prevent sexual assault because now you're you're victim blaming but um but I, I have to assume ahead of time, it's not like you and I work this out ahead of time, but I have to assume that's not what you're trying to do is victim blame at this point. Right. Exactly. And that you saying that reminded me of what actually originally prompted me to write the blog I was, I was referencing. There was mm-hmm. a, there was an, uh, what's that? It's an LDS magazine ensign or ensign ensign. Is that okay? Or ensign. Yeah. One oh, yeah. Of those. However you say it. Yeah. E N S I N. Yes, whatever. However you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, a couple, couple years ago, um, they, they had an article in that magazine that, you know, sparked some outrage and, uh, somewhere in my blog, I have the exact quote, but the, the quote said something about, you know, women need to dress, dress modestly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, otherwise they'll trigger, that might be my word. They'll, they'll trigger boys that are trying to be pure. And, you know, <laughs> kind of putting the responsibility on girls to like, that's a hell of a statement, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it's completely misguided and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's putting the, the responsibility on women to, you know, watch what they're wearing, lest they trigger the, the, you know, the unsatiable appetite of some male that now is going to be unhinged and unable to control himself from, you know, raping or something like that. Right. I mean, I mean that that's me adding context and sign didn't say that, but well, it also, I, I, I guess implies that and not that they're saying this, but when, when I hear that again, it goes through a filter in my head and out pops this idea that, you know, men and boys were just these mindless beasts that right. if triggered, you know, to a certain point, like, <laughs> it's <laughs> insulting to both men and women, that whole concept, right. That yeah. a girl, it's her responsibility to dress modestly because these mindless creatures are out there. You know, um, it, it's like, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it's not equivalent to it, but it'd be like, you know, I mean, don't, don't, 
don't walk outside during a uh, full moon at nighttime because a werewolf's going to get you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, and, yeah. and you know, werewolves, they're just yeah. mindless beasts. And yeah. you ever notice that how the werewolves, after they turn back into dudes, they just regret everything. Like, what did I do? Yeah. I'd always wonder if there's like an aware werewolf. He's like, yeah. And a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should, yeah. we should uh, make a movie and, like a, a, skit, and a uh, werewolf. The a werewolf. <laughs> He's just like a self loathing and just like i hate that i i hate that i am doing this <laughs> yeah. you know, or he digs it you yeah. know because they they always hate that you know they're always like lock me up yeah. I gotta, you know every one of them every one of them are this nice dude you know what i mean like have you ever seen like a, a werewolf in a movie that was well, like twilight yeah yeah but those they could control themselves though they weren't like, oh you're right yeah they yeah. were they had self-awareness right. when they the, the whole kind of I guess mysticism or the appeal of the werewolf that makes it kind of cool is you got this unsuspecting guy who just wants to be a normal, you know, dude. And then, you know, he wakes up covered in tattered clothes and, and, you know, blood and all over his mind. Whoa, whoa, what happened? Yeah, you know, and then yeah. after a while, he's like, lock me up because if not, I'm going to do all. And people chill out, you know, and then of course turns into a werewolf and eats everybody. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, Oh, we should have listened Should've to him. him up. Yeah. yeah. I I'm saying, is there, I guess, I don't know, um, that weird werewolf movie with Jack Nicholson. I'm just going to reference that. James yeah. Spader. James Spader kind of dug it. Like, yeah, if you're aware, ooh, yeah, I'm going to turn into a werewolf and just be able to do whatever I want. You know, that's the only one I've ever, I guess, seen that people are aware that yeah. of what's happening. So, lean into it. That's good, though. And a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, he, like... Just to kind of get it out of the way and we'll come back to it again. It is 100% the responsibility of well, everybody to govern their own behaviors, you know, and, and the, uh, the responsibility for a sexual assault lies solely on the perpetrator of it. The, the idea is that a lot of the clients that we work with, when I, when I talk to them, uh, especially when it's maybe kind of the violent rapist type dudes, which is, it's not super common, but th those types of guys, they, they know that rape is bad. They knew it beforehand. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't something that in their head, they like didn't know. They, they knew that they knew that, uh, the, you know, it wasn't what the woman wore that made them rape. They, they made, they made the choice. And so the idea is that if we're relying upon the perpetrator to, make the correct moral choice when they're feeling sexually triggered. I mean that like from like a moral point of view, it should be that the potential perpetrator should not act on it. But as far as like a prevention strategy, if you're, if, if your ability to prevent an attack lies solely in the moral choice of a potential attacker, that's not really good risk management. It, it, it takes the control from you and puts it onto this other person to not violate the great social contract. So in other words, you're, you're saying that a, a person that is, you know, sexually assaulted or whatever, and then, or, or has the potential for that. And then, you know, the question boils down to, well, why should I have to change my behavior mm -hmm. when that person shouldn't do that in the first place. Like you yeah. shouldn't, I mean, it's pretty simple formula. I think I don't even need to look at a rule book or the 10 commandments. You shouldn't rape the end. Yeah. Okay. Real easy. Right. 
Um, and I get that. And I think everybody can go on board mm-hmm. with, with that sentiment. But the problem is, is you're basing that on a theory. Well, yeah, you shouldn't right. do those things. However, it does happen. And if you're, if you're relying solely on the fact that they shouldn't do this, whether they believe it's moral or not, you know, because I'm sure sometimes in some guy's mind and you probably on a, at least on a, I don't know if it's bit like in, you know, kind of fit, hyper like a hyperbolic type of example people have said well she she's dressed in that way you know she deserved it or something like that you know i've sh- i've heard guys say something similar yeah. to that mm-hmm. um so we're saying that that well they may have had that mindset and they s- certainly shouldn't have that mindset but you and i are always dealing with that after the fact right like i can correct that after the fact and i can say well let's let's have a conversation about that and we, we, I think, do a pretty good job of reframing that and giving them some replacement thoughts that really start to make them think differently about right. this. But the sexual assault has already occurred at right. that point. So you're saying that basing all of your decisions on they shouldn't do that. And because they shouldn't do that, I, I can kind of do and say and dress. And I'm sure this isn't all related to dressing, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, right. um, that if you base it on that, then, I mean – you know, that's a level of risk that you can choose to engage in or choose not to engage in. But there are going to there's going to be some additional risk if if you say should have, because I think I don't know, don't we all to some degree assume people commit crimes? I mean, don't we all I mean, it doesn't have to be right. sexual assault. Like, don't we all kind of modify our behavior under the assumption that people are committing crimes to some degree or another? Uh, absolutely. That's yeah. that's uh, I mean, uh, yeah, a big a big part of risk management for anything. In fact, uh, in a, in a bit here, I'm going to kind of take you and the listeners through a, just kind of a mental exercise to illustrate oh, that. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. But uh, just, just to kind of back what you're saying, it's, uh, just to, I guess, underline what you're saying. It's absolutely a morally reprehensible position to, to, of that type of, well, she, you know, she knew what she was getting into. She hadn't worn that skirt, you know, or well, then, you know, she, she had it come and she knew what she was doing. Like that, that's a absolutely morally reprehensible position to hold. So in other words, in in your position, will we have a remedy for that saying, yeah, dress however you want. It's yes. Do that. Yes. However, yes. Do this also. Okay, good. Correct. Good. All right. And and I assume so. Puts you, the listener back in control over what's going on. And your, your safety is in your hands now, not the, the moral contemplation of a potential attacker. And so with that said, there's a, I mean, I know what, you know, Mm -hmm. you're well aware of this, but there's a, there's a treatment book called pathways and it's normed, I think for juvenile sex offenders. And I, I don't know if this particular, concept is from pathways or somewhere else, but there's a, is that a the one written by Timothy Kahn. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and do you, do you have any idea who this, the like Finkelhor, uh, like that's the guy's last name, Finkelhor. He, yeah. He's it, another, uh, is he a researcher? Uh, yes. And also, uh, clinical therapist and, and, um, kind of focusing on, on that in, in that area with sex offenders, juvenile sex offenders. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So this, uh, Finkelhorn gentleman uh, has a concept called the, you know, the four barriers to committing a sexual offense. And, uh, yeah, Mace is going to pull this up here. Are they able to see that? 
Uh, now they are nice. I I like this little graphic because it kind of helps you know give a visual representation of very what we're simple talking graphic about. too. It is. There's you know um so if you have and, and this by the way this whole concept is the left of bang um, concept here that this is designed to help you remain left of bang. And so there's like four hurdles or barriers that a potential perpetrator has to overcome, circumnavigate, whatever it is to get to the potential victim. So four, four barriers. And, and for anybody who's just listening, the graphic that we're showing is so, um, on the right side of the picture, there are um, two children, a boy and a girl. And on the left side of the picture are two adults, also a boy and a girl. And in the middle of those two are these four barriers that Jeff's about to talk to. So there's a brick wall and a wall and a ladder and steps. And anyway, just kind of a graphical rep or not a, yeah, it's a picture representation of what Jeff's about to talk about. But the, the picture is essentially the perpetra- potential perpetrators on the, on the left and potential victims on the right. And these four barriers that Jeff's going to discuss are, are in between them. Thank you. The, the first barrier is motivation. The, the client has to be, or the offender has to be motivated to want to attack. They have to have a reason why, and mm-hmm. there can be a whole litany of motivations. You know, when it comes to violent rape, the kind of the common, I think commonly, discussed motivation is power and control. That's one slice of the pie. There's a lot of slices to this pie though. It could Mm -hmm. just be straight up sexual arousal. You know, it could be acting out abuse that happened to them when they were younger. It could be kind of a revenge get back thing. It might be the way that they're dealing with rejection. It, it might be, well, uh, I guess any, any, any number of potential motivations, but they, they have to want to do it before a sexual assault happens. There has to be some type of motivation. So, so in other words, in this case, the, I mean, the, cause I don't know, I've never, <laughs> I, I think about where my motivations are and, and it's not, I think motivations normally for guys and for girls is you may find a person attractive and you know, maybe you want to have a sexual encounter with them, but you're saying the motivation has to be tied with actually wanting to commit a sexual assault, not just finding the person attractive and wanting to have sex with them. They have to be motivated to commit a sexual. Yeah. Assault. Yeah. And, but I mean, like that, that is a good point about motivation though. If it's, you know, uh, cause the idea would be, well, if they're, if they are wanting some type of sexual interaction with this person, you know, why wouldn't they just pursue them? And, and, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of explanations for that, but maybe just to be, you know, the, the initial urge, like, wow, she's pretty. I want to go talk to her, uh, may well be a similar motivation for a potential perpetrator. It's just the, you know, the, the lack of skills or ability or whatever it is, is maybe what takes it down the non-consensual route. Okay. Okay. And so the motivation also would be, well, I guess it, it would also be the my motivation might be based would be increased for that sexual assault if if I didn't have the interpersonal relationship skills right. that move me in the right direction right okay which is on a side note why we focus on social skills pretty heavily in treatment right which which also I think um, I mean it might even speak to an initial uh, um, awareness piece maybe you're going to talk about this I've, I've kind of always said 
when somebody's general appearance, grooming, hygiene, the way that they dress, the way that they keep themselves, Mm -hmm. as well as the way they interact with other people, you know, um, if I, I think there's kind of a general creepy vibe that sometimes people give off, I think that should be, you should take note of that. The social skills or lack thereof is a big indicator that a person might be capable of something like this. Right. I mean, it also might indicate, I don't know that they're on the autism spectrum might be completely harmless, but but, so it's just one of those things to say, Hmm. Okay. Keep score mentally. Just kind of make note. This isn't this, you know, and, and then also guides how you are then going to conduct yourself moving forward. Even if it is somebody who is on the autism spectrum or has any type of cognitive deficits or anything like that. So, right. Okay. It's, it's a left of bang concept yeah. and it's, it, it's not conclusive, but it's an indicator like, Hey, maybe keep an eye on this person that seems to be keeping a long leering eye on me. Sure. And but that, before I move on to the next one, uh, can you think of any other motivations that someone might commit a sex offense against sexual arousal, power and control, um, inability to talk to somebody in a you know, lack of ability to talk to somebody consensually, <laughs> I think of uh, sexual preoccupation, sexual unwanted preoccupation. sexual preoccupation. Good. In other words, like um, a lot of our clients that we work with have sexual thoughts that they actually don't want to have. Um, we would call those mm. intrusive sexual thoughts. So it's almost happening against their will and they don't know how to control them. And sometimes, you know, their solution is, well, I'll, I'll masturbate and it goes away, which really is you're reinforcing it. And yes, temporarily the urges go away because, you know, you feel quote unquote satiated temporarily, but you're, you're, you're actually empowering those, those thoughts to continue coming back. Um, and then also, I guess another one would be like my, my personal, um, do I have an emotional, am I regulating my emotions based on sexual conquest or or do I have a personal sense of identity associated with like sexual conquest? In other words, like how many sexual partners I have really helps define, you know, the quality of person that I am. And it almost gives me confidence and, um, and makes me happy. I'm, I know I'm regulating my emotions and identity on sex and, and how many times I can score. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Notches on the bedpost type of rationale. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Great. So assuming now that our, uh, perpetrator has, Traversed that brick wall of motivation. They've gone up those stairs and now they're now they're facing their second barrier and that's the internal barrier. So the internal barrier is your personal Jiminy Cricket, your conscience, you know, your the still small voice, whatever you whatever you want to call it. And, you know, uh, believe it or not. Well, I know you believe this. Uh, mo- most uh, sexual offenders aren't psychopaths. They most of them do have some type of conscience. And the, you know, the ability to like, should I do this? And the conscience can be a really, it, 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 it's great. Like this is where a lot of our treatment takes place is challenging risky thoughts, you know, helping them, you know, reframe and uh, change up the way that they're thinking about things and pulling from, you know, a bunch of different, bunch of different reasons. But there's that conscience can be a big hurdle if the person's wanting to commit a sex offense. And so they have to find a way to, you know, uh, get around their conscience. They might tell themselves things like it's not going to hurt. It's only once this has happened to this person before. I'm not the first person to do it. 
I, I mean, and feel free to chime in with things you've heard clients say. What What are some other, what what do how do clients rationalize their sexual assault? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of she wants it. Yeah, it's there was a there was a pretty good movie that I just watched that um it it reminds me of this. Have you seen The Last Duel with Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Ben no. Affleck? Okay, it's worth watching. It's a Ridley Scott show and um. There's so the whole thing is based around a rape, right? And there's a duel at the end, which is badass, by the way. Mm. I mean, that's I was like, like you're on the edge of your seat, like the whole time, huh. sweet ass duel. So, man, brutal back then. And uh, the whole movie was snowing and what's cold. it called again? The Last Duel. Okay. Um, anyway, the, the bulk of the movie outside of the duel was um, Matt Damon marries this girl. And he's, you know, some badass night off killing people. And um, while he's away, Adam Driver, who used to be his friend um, and uh, kind of came up in the ranks, not out of merit, but because he knew Ben Affleck, who was some lord. I don't know. Anyway, um, visits Matt Damon's wife while she's alone and he goes in there and rapes her. Right. And um now it's told from three different perspectives. It's told from first Matt Damon's perspective, and then it starts over, and then it tells it from uh, her perspective, and then it, or no, Adam Driver's perspective. He's the other night, and then it goes back and tells it from her. I don't know the actress's name. Um, so the when you look at it, all the facts of kind of what happened were relatively the same, but there was small details in, you know, how she viewed it and how he viewed it, you know, the perpetrator and the victim, how they viewed it that were different. So a, an example was she was running up the stairs and as she was running in her, in when she remembers it, she was running so fast, like her, her shoes fell off as she was running up the stairs, you know what I mean? To get away from him. And in his mind, he saw you know, his recollection was he took her shoe. She took her shoes off, you know, deliberately prior to going up the stairs indicating, Oh, I'm going to, she's like disrobing. Right. And, um, so then they, so then they go up to, you know, and there's a part prior to that, that she's smiling at him and he sees this and it looks as if while, while she's dancing with her husband, you know, who's Matt Damon. And he looks at this as well, she's smiling at me. She's enticing me. She kind of digs this. And in her mind, she's like, uh, yeah, he's very full of himself. He's very arrogant. Look what a little smile will do, you know? So on wow. her end, okay. And then they, then the, the scene's happening. And in his mind, he sees it all, it's all, she's saying no. And apparently this is like, you know, even later on, he's talking to Ben Affleck and saying, well, she gave the obligatory protest, but then after that she was into it, you know? And in his mind, like, yeah, this is risky and forbidden, but it's also they're in love and they just can't do it because she's married and and uh, it's all playful, right? In, to some degree or another. Kind of the no means yes. Just I, I have to say yeah. no to maintain my virtue, but I really want you to keep pushing. That's right. how he's looking at it. And in her recollection, it's it's very violent and, and very like, you know, what it truly feels like to be like, I'm completely out of control and and he, he is 100% forcing me to do this. So th- I think... That yes, on a, on, and even in that case, you know, um, I get back in the day, I, I would assume the 
rape standards were a little bit less than they are now back in, you know, medieval France. I'm sure. Yeah. And, um, they, they even at that, you know, time rape was a big no, no, right. They knew that back then. So I think we've all kind of known this just in our heart of hearts. It's probably not a great idea to do this. Um, but in his mind, he had to do these mental gymnastics to paint the picture that what he did was morally sound. And not only that, that she kind of dug it, which our clients do a lot. So some, I mean, there is, what would that, what do you think if you could kind of give a a description of the thoughts that he had to justify that encapsulate it? Like, how do you, what do you think he was telling himself to pacify his conscience? That she's in love with me and that her protest is, you know, a matter of, there was a big, obviously back then, um, it wasn't as secular as it is today. So like everything involved, even their lawyers were all of like the clergy mm. at the time. So everything was, you know, before God and everything like that. And, um, and the stakes were incredibly high, you know, so the duel premised on the idea that, okay, well, so Matt Damon, I'm going to challenge you to a duel and God is going to determine the winner because whoever wins is going to be the the person who's telling the truth and who's right in this. And they assumed like, okay, well, if she's not telling the truth um, and, and this is false and Adam driver, if he wins the duel, then we're not only is Matt Damon going to die, then we're going to burn her alive in front of everybody too. So it's like super scary because the stakes are so high that also there, you know, in his mind, he's like, well, she, she probably did that because, you know, before God, she needs to make this protest. Yeah. In reality, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. in love with me. How could she not be? Look at her husband compared to me. And um, look how she's smiling at me. And look how, you know, eventually she just gave in and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, th- those would be half to the stories that he'd have to be telling himself or somewhere around the equivalent of that to get to that point. <laughs> That's a fantastic example to help illustrate the internal barrier, the conscience. Mm-hmm. So perfect. Okay. So now our, our, our perpetrator is, you know, they have the motivation. They want to do it. They bypass that. They've, they've, uh, jumped through the conscience barrier. You know, they, they, they've told themselves <clears throat> whatever they need to do to, to squash Jiminy Cricket. The third, the third barrier is, <clears throat> excuse me, external environmental. A few too many cigarettes today. Yeah. Smoke, <laughs> smoking them new year's cigars. <laughs> the, the environmental guy, okay, the, the even if you want to do something, there's going to be environmental limitations like other people around. You know, they they have to find some way to arrange such that the environment is conducive to a sexual assault. They have to get you alone. Mm-hmm. They they have to find some way to, you know, uh, make sure that, you know, you're not on your phone or you're away from your phone or, you know, unable to alert people, maybe like a like a in a dark alley or something is kind of the proverbial thing. Uh, you know, this could even be like online, like ways to, you know, contact somebody surreptitiously, just whatever, whatever kind of environmental conditions to increase the likelihood that nobody else is going to find out. Cause like sexual assaults rarely happen with more than one set of eyes on, on the situation. These things thrive in like assaults thrive in secrecy and the, the perpetrator, if, if they've gotten to the point that they want to do it and they have squashed their conscience, they have to find a way to manipulate the environment or manipulate you 
in concert with the environment such that no one else is looking at it and they're able to, they're able to get away with it. So it's just now you and you and the perpetrator through the potential victim. Right. And and this, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you think like that too many people focus on, on this as, as the linchpin as to whether or not a sexual assault is going to occur. Like a couple examples are, um, well, so sometimes when our clients, you know, they've, they've gone to prison and they've paroled and they're coming into the community. They often have to, um, get permission to go to certain places. Like there was a, and right. there's a news article that one of our therapists shared with us. Was that Megan who shared that with us? I don't recall. Oh, so, um, maybe what, shared what though? Oh, it was yeah. a news article about, um, it was about, don't we have a therapist named Megan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, that uh that the one of the state legislatures state senators actually is looking to reduce restrictions for sex offenders that if accompanied with an adult that they could go to certain places like a park Great or example. a school it, it, so we put restrictions on this like say you cannot go here you cannot go there and that's the assumption that if we just eliminate if we eliminate some of these environmental factors, then it's not going to occur. Um, on our end, I don't know personally what I think is no matter what you do to control the environment, you're always going to run into an opportunity at one point or another. And we better have addressed these first two barriers first, just eliminating, you know, like environmental conditions will not suffice completely, but that's, it's kind of, one of those things that people tend to focus on and, and they, they get hyper-focused on that. Like the general public kind of focuses on that too, which is why they sometimes look at the sex offender registry, you know, like where they're housed and how many kids are in the neighborhood and stuff like that. But I don't know. I mean, do you ever feel that way? Oh, 100%. Yeah. The, we, we do have some focus on environmental and maybe early on in treatment, like while the client is still developing the cognitive skills to, to uh, deal with these things, There'll, there'll be restrictions on if they can physically go to a party, like a family party where there's going to be kids present. Um, you know, their, their environment is restricted a bit, but that that's such a superficial approach to therapy. And, and again, like you said, without the first two conditions, you know, the motivation and the internal, if, if those aren't met, it's a matter of time before the person's able to bypass the environmental concerns. It's, it's yeah. Like most, 90% of our program, our treatment program is, is spent dealing with the internal stuff, the cognitive skills, the emotional regulation, the social skills, the, you know, the problem solving methods, those types of things, the, like environment to a degree, you know, we'll get, you know, again, they're, they're restricted on, you know, if they can go to a place where children are known to congregate mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, things like parks and, and th like you said, it really does seem like the public focuses a lot on that. Um, and it's, it's, it's relevant, but it's, that's, uh, uh, just a, a glimpse of what actually matters. But well, well, the other thing I think too is, and this might, I don't know, you might know more about this cause you've looked into it more than I do, but this is not like a stepwise process, not you have to go through this, then you have to go through that. Like all these elements have to be there prior, like. The, the the reason I'm asking is because the example that I give uh, sometimes to clients is think about risk and your risk 
to, you know, think about it applying to everybody equally, right? So like, for example, um, somebody, I don't, I don't have any motivation whatsoever to download and consume child pornography. Okay. I don't, I don't have, I don't have any mental gymnastics that I have to do at this point. Um, because, uh, I don't have the motivation. I don't have to try to talk myself or rationalize it because I don't have the motivation to do that. I do, however, have opportunity right now, right? I have it right now because I have unsupervised access to the internet, right? And I have a room that I can lock. And I assume that if I wanted to be in private and do whatever I wanted to, I could, I could do that, right? So that's an element, that's a percentage factor that goes into risk. Now, the other two factors are not there, so it's not ever going to be an issue, but I still need to address that. Like there's a level of risk there that compared to some dude out in rural, I don't know, Wyoming that has no internet whatsoever. He's a less of a risk than I am simply by means of lack of opportunity, right? So it's not to say stop looking at it as either or and really rather everything left of bang is saying, okay, well, these things contribute to risk and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to move in that direction, but you should be paying attention to these things. You should be eyeballing these things altogether because that's, that's the reality. One doesn't have to precede the other, but if they're there all added together, they can, you know, create the, the bang, the bang moment at that point. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. No, perfect. Good. And, uh, in, in a minute, when we kind of come back to this and put it into context, we'll talk about in the, as far as if, if you're trying to avoid sexual assault, how to be aware of environmental uh, conditions, but let's jump to the, the fourth and final barrier that separates the perpetrator from the victim. So again, they've, they've, they've bypassed the motivation. They want to do it. They've skipped around their conscience by telling themselves what they need to tell themselves to make it okay in their head. They've arranged for the environment to be such that, they feel they're, they're confident and they can pull off the assault. The final thing is overcoming victim resistance. And so that can be a variety of things. And again, it depends on the type of victim we're talking about in, you know, if we're talking about child victims, you know, of course that's going to be, you know, grooming methods, you know, uh, bribery, uh, you know, kind of the teacher student type perpetration, but like on an, on an adult level, uh, physical force, coercion, blackmail, you know, the types of things to where sexual pressure, um, you know, getting the, getting the victim inebriated, the, the, you know, different ways that, you know, like a think of maybe an aggressive date that is wanting to take things, you know, step things up physically and is uh super persistent and pushy and maybe kind of has some implied threats present, uh, that those are all methods to overcome the victim's resistance. And even kind of on a more subtle level too, and I'd see this happening, it, it is kind of just trickery, you know, like, I don't know, um, selling, selling a false bill of goods, like, you know, uh, acting as if, um, I'm more balling than I actually am or something, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, th I assume when we go on meeting somebody for the first time, we want to put our best. I foot think everybody does that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Look it, how amazing I am. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I assume when we first meet somebody, we want to, and we're interested in, in courting them. <laughs> we we want to put our. Anybody say that anymore? <laughs> um, we want to we want to put our best foot forward. But some guys take it to like the extreme. You know what I mean? Like they're they're almost like I don't know. Like like I've heard of dudes renting certain cars to take girls out. Right, and, right, and uh, yeah, like just so simping ain't easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm not gonna say that's sexual assault, but I mean, you that's overcoming resistance of the other yeah. individual by kind of tricking them that that they're you are different than you actually are. Right. Yeah. Like you know, dudes who's might be down on his luck and not having the job that he wants. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to school right now, you know, or whatever it is, you know, or having, Oh yeah, my roommates are upstairs. He lives with his parents, you know, so, something like that. Yeah. Like you're so more subtle, but still, you're still kind of tricking people at that point. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it can certainly be like lumped into that category of, you know, deceit Yeah. that would kind of fall into that overcoming uh, victim resistance. Okay. And so, so all four of these barriers have to be overcome yes. and then the bang comes. Yes, exactly. And yeah, it starts with motivation, then the internal barrier, then the external barrier, and then overcoming uh, victim resistance. And so this, uh, when we start getting into the, the area of, well, okay, what would that mean for um, avoiding a sexual assault? And we start talking about things like, how are you presenting yourself? Who are you going out with? Um, are you, are you, you know, at the nightclub, are you, you know, walking back out to your car by yourself? Or, you know, are you with your friends? You know, are, are you, you know, are you on your phone kind of with your head down, unaware and oblivious? Like those types of things. Once we start talking about those as potential prevention tactics, that's where people's alarm bells start to come up as far as like, oh, you're blaming the victim. Right. You know, and right. Kind of the, the classic, like we we're talking about the, what was she wearing type thing? And, and again, we're the, Hopefully everybody at this point is fully aware that we put the onus of responsibility solely on the perpetrator. We just don't like the idea of whether or not a sexual assault happens hinging on the current moral choice of the attacker. We want it to be, we want these things to be your considerations. And I think maybe just an easy mental exercise to do that with is, so I'm going to just ask you some basic questions and if you're a listener, maybe just answer these to yourself as well. So when it comes to like keeping your car from bring being broken into, like what, what are some things that you do currently to deter people from breaking into your car? Um, so I, uh, I have an alarm good on my car that, you know, I, I arm when I get out. I also, um, if I can help it, I always park under a, a light a working light, like, especially if it's at nighttime, um, I doesn't matter. I, I don't really care about walking. In fact, I try to park far away, but, um, from the entrance, but I usually try to park under a light, uh, just because, um, I heard some statistic once upon a time about that, uh, that, you know, people don't rub cars nearly as much. Um, I try not to have anything in my car, like of value readily that you can see, you know, just looking through the window that would, maybe motivate somebody. And then of course my, my windows, you know, are up and, um, and, and, and it's locked. So those are all, all things that I do to, um, to prevent my car from being robbed and, or if it does a quick response. Yeah. Pr pretty well checked all the boxes that 
I, I consider as well the yeah. just to kind of quick little story time on the parking under a light that that's, that's usually a practice that I'm a big fan of as well. And one time, uh, we didn't do that. So the wife and I were visiting, um, her parents, uh, this has been 10 years now. Um, her, her parents, uh, temporarily lived, um, by the gateway mall in, in some, uh, in some apartments while they're waiting on another house to be built or something. And we were, that's a mall in downtown Salt Lake. Yes. City. The mall in downtown Salt Lake. City. for our Australian listeners. Yeah, we have quite right. a few of those. <laughs> oh, what's up Aussies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the gateway mall is uh, by the homeless shelter and we you know uh parking was kind of packed and so i i parked in like the worst spot possible you know it was it was a uh, kind of dark where i parked and you know well out of the way of the street not really visible by the to the street and um so first off it's that that was my bad for parking there and my wife uh she had like all her salon stuff and everything, a bunch of equipment, you know, uh, and, and all in a bag or, you know, her planner, all these different things. And, uh, she had left it on my front seat and, uh, you can guess where this is going. You know, we, we, after we, after visiting with the in-laws, we came back outside and sure enough, my windshield was shattered. The, the Your windshield was shattered. No, sorry. The, the passenger side uh, oh. window was shattered. Hell yeah, dude. If I see Redkin, I'm yeah. <laughs> I will turn exactly. into a mindless beast. <laughs> yeah. And, and that happened and I was pissed more at myself, but I was, you know, uh, felt really dumb for, did, did you think about it? Like after you'd parked there, like, and before you discovered, yes. so you, you were like, I was hmm. recognized. This isn't the best place to park, but whatever. Yeah. We'll chance it. Okay. Yep. And yeah, decided to chance it and completely paid for it. Felt like an idiot. Yeah. You know, my wife was upset. I was livid trying to like, wasn't making the best decisions. I was, you know, <laughs> uh, walking like near the homeless shelter, like trying to like look for people like I'm going to do something. I mean, right. You know, but in any case, uh, it was, it was a lesson learned. And, and since then, yeah, if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I park, if I meet friends somewhere, you know, it's like for going to, you know, at a park and ride or whatever it is, I'll, I'll damn well make sure my car is under a light and the, any valuables are not readily visible. Yeah. Those types of things. And to, to kind of to continue with it, I mean, beating a dead horse here, but let's talk about your house now also. So okay. what, what kind of, what kind of steps do you take to keep your family safe and to keep your belongings safe here in your house? Um, so even like, um, like right now, um, so I'm, I'm home obviously, but right now, uh, all my deadbolts on my doors are locked so nobody can, you know, just willy nilly walk in. Um, uh, I have an alarm on my house. So, um, you know, I can, I can have it set for when I I'm here. Um, so when I'm sleeping it, but it has motion sensors as well. So, I mean, obviously you don't want those cause I have dogs and stuff like that that it would pick up on them. And, um, so I have an alarm that I assume goes to that really cool, uh, central office with everybody, you know, wolf security. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're dispatching a seal team to your location. Yeah. Which, Red team go. Yeah. Which yeah. really isn't the case. Yeah. It's just our buddy Aaron sitting in some room. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's like, Oh yeah. my God, here we go. Yeah. Again. Um, 
and uh, so I, uh, you know, during evening time, I turn on, um, I have some lights outside. I have some lights in my driveway. I have Good. a light under my porch. I have a backlight that's on all night. Um, and when I leave, my alarm is set. And then I have, uh, when I'm not here, I have people who check on my house on a relatively routine basis. And then also just as, as a matter of if anybody did, uh, get in here, I have a, um, nice set of armory, you know, just waiting for them in, in case they were to get into my house. So, um, yeah, I, all those things I have ready to rock and roll for yeah. protection of my house. Pretty security minded. That's, that's really good. Yeah. The, no, no, here's the thing is like you, you shouldn't have to have all of that. Right. But cause I kind of see, and most people I think would see at this point where you're going with this, but mm-hmm. Why is it that never ever, like with a car break in or a house break in, does the onus fall on solely on the offender? Like a car break in in particular, like that most of the time falls on you, the car owner, being careless or stupid about how you know you conducted yourself prior to then, like my situation, right? Right, and not on. That they shouldn't. It, it reminded me when you were talking about that. What came to mind was um, a lot of the looting that's going on in San Francisco now, mm-hmm. and how some people are just rolling their windows down, unlocking their cars, lifting their tail, lifting like their their hatchbacks up, and leaving their car open, and not putting anything of value in there so nobody breaks their windows. In other words, they're really, just, yeah. In other words, like you, the car owner are now responsible. People are going to break your windows if you put them up. So you're just, you're just avoiding it, you know, so they can just, and, and I was just thinking like, why is that same pressure as it's applied to sexual assault? Cause the thing is, is is, again, never have I ever heard you blame a victim for a crime happening against them, but more than anywhere, when it comes to the sexual assault, it's that person shouldn't have done that. Um, and I'm not responsible, which is a hundred percent true. And same thing goes to the car. That person shouldn't have robbed my car. You know, like they have to go through the same mental gymnastics, you know, like nobody is going to see this. Same four I, barriers, I right? can get away with it. Um, you know, the, the, and some people say, well, if they're going to leave it out here, then I'm going to steal it. They deserve to have it stolen. Right. Like stuff like that. You know what I mean? And, and, but, I don't know the, the victim in that case, you know, it's kind of okay to blame the victim in that case. Like it's kind of okay to say, even you're doing it to yourself right now. I yeah. shouldn't have parked there. Right. I parked in ba- and, and you know, we, we don't get philosophical and theoretical and say people shouldn't rob cars, but we're, you know, why I don't understand why we're more comfortable, you know, digging on victims who of car theft and, and it's not a, there's no sense in digging on victims anyway. Like, but you're saying, why are we more willing to do it? And it's not really, I don't even think it's a dig. I don't think it's a, it's, it's simply, I do those things as a matter of, well, I don't think everybody's going to steal from my car. In fact, I assume the vast majority of people are not. However, I do know some people will, and I'm not going to try to get into the idea that of understanding why or why not they're going to do it. I just assume they're going to do it. So I'm going to start putting some preventative factors in place to protect me, even though I know they're not 100% foolproof. You know, 
I, I, I'm, I suspect there's not like a logic based answer to it. And, you know, sexual assault is such an invasive, you know, emotionally traumatizing like type of situation that people are naturally averse to doing anything to even hint towards that something could have been done differently by the victim. And I feel that myself. Like I, even as I'm spitting the sentence out, I feel myself cringing internally, like thinking of some potential victim of sexual abuse, listening to this right now, thinking that we're coming from that angle. Like, what could you have done different? And it's because it, 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 it feels gross. So I don't, I don't know why, because the, the same four barriers apply. Again, the, the motivation to break into your car is like, Oh, I see a laptop on the front seat. Mm -hmm. I want that laptop Mm -hmm. internal barrier. He shouldn't have left that laptop on his front seat. Shit. He deserves it. I need this external barrier is no one's looking quick smash and grab. I can get, I can get by it. It's kind of a dark area, the parking lot. And then, you know, the, the victim's resistance is a little trickier with it being like a, a robbery, but maybe just the leaving the, leaving the laptop on the front seat anyway is kind of bypassing, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, I guess what I'm saying is it's the same sort of four step process and that there's, there's things that can be done to mitigate risk. It just, like you're saying, when it comes to sexual assault, it's such an emotionally charged and understandably so topic that people, they don't want to go that route for fear of it sounding like victim blaming. Here's the other thing I think that's going on is whenever, so like what is gross is when you like tell a girl she shouldn't have been wearing that, you know, like that, that is gross. I mean, first of all, uh, wear whatever you want. I mean, you know, and, and, and for some guys, you know, that have no intention, they'd be like, yeah, wear whatever you want. Like it's, you know, it's not, I think what it boils down to is there's no morality associated with parking under a light or locking your vehicle. It's almost like you turn the tables morally onto the victim and say, this is a result of your moral decisions that you chose to dress like a floozy and act like a flirt and tease to the degree that you activated the werewolf. And now this is where we are. Right. Yeah. Whereas it's not that ever. It's never that, you know what I mean? Like even because even if all that were true, even if somebody was deliberately like provoking somebody to do something, um, we have to teach our clients all the time, you know, because a, a perfect example, some of the times that we've had is think about adults, males that we've worked with that have had a sexual encounter with say a 14 year old. Okay. And I mean, I don't know, I wasn't there, but it it would be shitty of me to just say, eh, you know what? Uh, you, this was all your fault. You raped her, you forced her and all this other stuff. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like she was provoking me and she was doing this. I'm like, okay, all that may be true. Like maybe I, I wasn't there. She may have wanted this to happen and maybe she didn't view it at the time as a sexual assault. I have no clue. I wasn't there and I don't know her and I'm probably never going to meet her. So we don't have the time to, that's not important. 
you still had control over yourself, buddy. Like you still right. had to go through those mental gymnastics to otherwise justify having sex with a 14 year old, right. As an adult. So I'm not saying that two things can exist, but I think the real tricky part and why people are, this is such a, I don't know, acidic topic is because when, when you start to victim blame in this case, you are now, you know, it, it leaving your windows down, leaving your car unlocked, parking in a dark spot. Those are all impractical choices that don't really have anything to do with morals. But when you're talking about somebody's conduct or their dress or whatever, now you're starting to put this on personal decisions of how a person lives, lives their life. And I agree. That's not fair. That's not a fair assumption of what happened. And, but you're saying, nevertheless, there are things that we can do on our end as, as potential victims to mitigate the risk of future sex, sexual assault. And it doesn't have to be based. It can be more practical. It doesn't have to be moral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so do you think that like, again, some of the reason for the stigma, if I'm understanding it has, has to do with like society's attitudes towards sex and, you know, like, a, like a, a lot of value judgments with, you know, sex out of wedlock or something. And, sure. you know, uh, from, you know, what, from what I understand, like, you know, you know, generations and generations ago, things were a lot more, I don't know, like sexual assault wasn't, it, I mean, it, it was understood to be bad, but our, our current modern understanding of sex and sexuality and consent is, is much more in a good way constricted than it was back then. And there, there was a lot of judgments heaped on women. I think when they would have sex, I think girls are unfairly, unfairly judged in this arena. Like and that might have something to do with this. Like if you want to do a thought experiment, like you fill in the blank guy sleeps with a lot of chicks. He's a stud girl sleeps with a lot of guys. She's a Whore. okay. Yeah. Right. And that that's obviously not true. What I'm saying is, Think of how many people listening to this right now, and certainly from our generation, think that way. Like, guys, for as long as I can remember, if you were hooking up with 10, 20 girls or whatever, you dude, you man. right, you had social status. If you were a girl that, um, you know, God forbid, got pregnant or, or, dude, right, or you, you knew of multiple individuals she had had sex with man, she was, you know, the, she had the, the, the scarlet letter, you know, immediately. Uh, scarlet letter is a great example. Yeah. She's yeah. shamed. And, and so when it comes to like sexual assault, it's that there's still like a bit of a stigma with it. Like she did something she shouldn't have. Right. Right. And what I think is no, I mean, the girls, whatever your sexual proclivities are, have fun. It's none of my business. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I, I think, um, however, if I'm looking, if I'm looking at this, right. Um, I don't think guys have to worry about this nearly as much as girls though. It's just different. Worry about which part the sexual, sexual assault oh, yeah, piece right. ever. Like, yeah. um, I mean, I know guys get sexually assaulted. I get it. Okay. Um, I, and what I, and I can only use this from personal experience. However, Anybody can just start to think about this. Uh, never have I ever been in a situation where I felt sexually threatened right. or that there was even the potential of something happening. Right. And and then statistically, dude, 
what what's I think uh, last time um, we were looking at this, ninety nine percent of all sexual assaults are committed by males. Yeah. So yeah. and right. So yeah. whether or not it's fe- it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Right. Ninety nine percent. Well, and I and so males are the primary problem here, and um, so uh, more so, I want females to be empowered to make decisions that they want, but I also want them to be empowered to do things that help them feel safe as well. Right. That's with those things in mind. Exactly what this is. Right. Cause even if a dude dress, however you want act, however you want, and if a dude's going to be, if a dude's moving towards sexual assault, your awareness and your response to that can help prevent any type of sexual assault towards that. Exactly. So what are some things that you have thought of and recommend? Well, okay. So that's, that's the tricky part is these concepts, the motivation, the internal, the external and overcoming victims resistance is meant to be understood conceptually um, because if I were to give a prescription for this scenario, that scenario, that scenario, I mean, it, I mean, I'm, I might be able to do that, but I don't know. I don't know if this metaphor is going to work perfectly, but with like martial arts, you know, there's kind of like traditional martial arts mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, if somebody grabs your wrist, then you do this. And, you know, if uh, if you think of like Napoleon Dynamite with like the Rex Kwando thing, like grab my wrist, my other wrist, your other wrist, yeah. you know, like, like they're trying to give specific <laughs> like prescriptions for a given technique. Uh, it, it falls apart once the variable changes in what's happening. In other words, the variable being the guy. Yeah. Yeah, The the guy, the circumstance, the environment, the the time of day, like a bunch of different variables. Right. And you know, like, so when you and I teach the, the behavior management stuff to group homes, like Mm -hmm. kind of the, the pal position thing, posture, arms, location. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just, just going with, uh, being out of your arms distance, you know, we, we teach a basic concept that, if I'm this far away from Mace, he can't hit me. I'm out of his arm's length. He yeah. can extend his arm. Um, if I'm right up next to him, giving him a bear hug, he can hit me, but he doesn't have a lot of power there. And so we teach people to be all the way out like I am now or all the way in where I'm right up next to him. And because in the, the middle zone is where you have a bunch of power. It's where you could actually hurt me. And so we teach that as a concept. There's a million different circumstances to where distance management is a thing. But rather than trying to like break it down by each position, we teach a concept all the way in or all the way out. Right. And I I think that's how this has to be viewed as well, is that it's not a cookbook approach. It's not, if this happens, you do this, then this, then this, and then this, and then you're fine. Because it'll never work that way. Right. Like as a base level understanding, if you can have it in your mind to think, okay, what, based on this situation I'm in, what are some potential motivations that somebody that might attack me would be? What are some of the, what might they be thinking to themselves to make it okay to do something? What are my environmental conditions? Where am I going to be at risk? Where's my safe zone? Where am I not? And if this guy were to assault me, how do you think he would come at me? Is he going to put something in my drink? Is he going to try to get me away from my friends and right. hey, let's go outside and grab a smoke, you know, for at a nightclub or something, which all might be harmless by the way. Like all of those things might be harmless. Right. So the, I guess what you're trying to say is, it's it's better 
rather than giving a prescription of do this, do that, like the pal position thing you just described, that's not a girls don't use that as a prescription to man. It's not like you do that and you're going to be safe. That's not the idea. Mm -hmm. It's you have to have an understanding of what these four barriers are for the, the type of clients that we've worked with in the past. Yes. These are the four barriers and your awareness of those barriers puts you in a bit better position to guide your own behaviors. So Dress however you want, right? Yeah. I mean, sky's the limit, you yeah, know? And please. Yeah, yeah. Most of us yeah. dig it. That's okay. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't get mad at, you know, a girl who wears, who's attractive and wears yoga pants at the gym, you know? Like, it's, it's, uh, and, and okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if you are, if you're proud of your body and you want to show it off, good for you. Um, it's none of my business. Okay. I mean, I try my best not to be a creep and look, but you know, whatever <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not, you know, it's not, it's not a dig on you morally. There's nothing morally wrong with that whatsoever. However, though, the thing is, is I think if you neglect to acknowledge all of those things combined, um, then, and basis only on the fact that you, they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. People shouldn't rape. People shouldn't sexually assault. But it it happens. Happens all the time. And we do a pretty damn good job of correcting that, you know, right of bang. But left of bang, we have no conversations with these dudes. We, we've never met them. Not until they've been punished. They've served eight years in prison or whatever and are now coming back into the community, do we have contact with them, right? So we can't do anything until then. And by then it's too late. So these are measures that if I was an unsuspecting person that, or I should be just be a suspecting person, you know? And I, I think about that, some practical things like that you're referring to is, um, I, I guess you can't ever be a mind reader. You don't know what's going on in their mind. And I, I guess it would not be safe to assume that everybody's thinking about that all the time. That's not really fair to anybody, guys or girls. Yeah. That yeah. See, look, this guy's kind of sexually assaulting. You know, like <laughs> he's paralyzed with fear, no matter what. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could, but there's there's harm that, well, not harm, but there's you know, there's whatever you choose to do. There's going to be a side effect of that. The side effect of that is if I assume everybody is going to sexually assault me. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to have very many friends and certainly it's going to be difficult <laughs> right. for me to engage in a relationship. Right. However, some of the examples that we've given behaviorally could demonstrate that it might be moving in that direction. Like, um, for example, like motivation, you know, um, you, you know, there are signs and symptoms that another individual might be sexually preoccupied. Do they talk about it a lot? Do the text messages that, you know, you and that person exchange or the phone conversations, are they very, you know, sexually oriented? Um, do they request uh, <laughs> a lot of like nude pictures? Mm -hmm. um, are What's their behaviors like towards you? You know, is there a lot of unsolicited sexual um, movement, you know, towards towards you, you know, grabbing stuff like that body language that would suggest that's that that's going those all would be indicators that, okay, maybe this isn't going where I want it to go. And potentially this guy has that on his mind, not necessarily, but those are indicators. I want to pay attention to that. It, it would make you, I guess, much more alert for their attempt to overcome your resistance. If, right. it, if it got down to that, right. You know, kind of a, it's like a little bit of a darker way of looking at things, but I was again, I don't know if it was the same book or another one, but it was talking about 
you know, developing situational awareness. Mm -hmm. And it's like one of the harder things to think about because if you, people think of, people think of situational awareness, they think of that Jason Bourne, you know, walking into a bar and being able to see like that guy can take care of himself. This person can do this. That guy's armed. That's not really realistic. You know, and if you walk into a grocery store and you're supposed to like, what exactly are you supposed to be aware of? You know, constantly scanning everything. It's not that the, the, the exercise that wherever I pick this up is like, temporarily put yourself into the mind of a perpetrator and try to think like, okay, if I were that type of person, this is like for like mugging, not rape necessarily, but if I were going to mug somebody, who would I go after? So you get looking at people and, you know, maybe if you're in a crowded area, you look for the person that maybe looks physically compromised, maybe not really capable of taking care of themselves. You look for the person that has their nose buried in their phone, oblivious to everything around them. You you look for the, the type of person that, looks like they might be easy to persuade and move away. So you find that person and then you look to see if there's other people that are also keying in on the person you identified. And it's, uh, I suppose you could do the same type of thing at like a nightclub. If you're out with your friends, you know, if you're like a female listening to this and like, like look around and okay, what, like, who looks like they might be vulnerable. You know, if you're thinking like a perpetrator and if you like, if you can pick it out and if, and it's, I'm asking you to be judgmental, but if you can pick out like, okay, this person looks like somebody that would be vulnerable to an attack, then you you can then adjust your behaviors as well and, and recognize that in the moment. Yeah. Like it's almost, I mean, Whenever I did a lot of domestic violence counseling with um, perpetrators of domestic violence and I did some victim stuff. And one of the things that and I don't know, it's weird. I mean, I never recommend it. If you're a counselor, pick a lane like working with victims and perpetrators Mm -hmm. is tricky um, because you're hearing both sides of this. And this is where I got caught up in it, because um, when I was hearing from some of the perpetrators why they did this and, you know, Um, And it's not really like why. I mean, we more so look at circumstances. Again, context is important for recognizing the potential for future offenses and and what can we do to mitigate risk on the perpetrator side, not on the victim side, on the perpetrator side, right? One of the things that universally came up was the vulnerability of, of the victim in these cases. And I'm not talking about being vulnerable like... I'm emotionally vulnerable. I know that that's part of a relationship. What I'm saying is, you know, it's almost as if they targeted, um, females who were lacked self-confidence. Um, a lot of times who, um, were, who were single mothers, um, not working, uh, that were addicted. Um, and these were all, qualities and characteristics that they felt they could leverage in order to have power and control in the relationship. That's kind of what they did. Right. So then I work with the, the victims and, you know, they'd be, um, or survivors, you know, was kind of how we framed it was. And one of them asked a question, they were saying, well, do I just attract guys that do this? And of course I don't want to say, yeah, like, and I don't want to say that what I'm saying is, is, well, look, maybe you just aren't ready to be in a relationship right now, which is fine. Um, but really what, what I'd want you to do is have confidence in yourself 
enough to the degree that you can set boundaries and limitations within a relationship and stick with those. And, you know, let's work through your substance use disorder. Let's make sure you're independent. You don't need to rely on anybody else. Like if anything, again, that's a, that's an appeal to women's empowerment to do whatever you want and be super confident in doing so. And just be willing to set boundaries and limitations with any dude who's going to try to exploit that because the vulnerability of the victim is really what the perpetrators keyed in on. And it, and it said, if you had a gal, it's not none of those guys. I promise you, none of those guys said, Oh yeah, it was because of the way she dressed. What I'm thinking is you could be dressed, you know, as provocatively as you want. And if he tried to talk to you and you just present it as if you were confident and you were like, piss off loser, you know, that'd be the end of it. He would realize, ugh, this is going to be too much work. I'm not going to go down this road. Perfect. You know what I mean? So again, that's not putting the onus and responsibility on the victim. That's saying that, you know, uh, you having confidence in yourself and being able to take care of yourself and being like, just showing that and having the disposition that, you know, I'm not going to be screwed with no matter what, um, whether, you know, you're petite or big or whatever, it doesn't matter. That's going to be a factor that plays into this. That's perfect. Yeah. Get, yeah. That's a, That's a great summary of it. That, I, I kind of want to leave the, the listeners with that exact. Yeah. So looking at it. So it is an empowerment. Thing. Right. Right. So don't please, please, please don't take this as we're victim blaming. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys just keep those those barriers in mind um motivation internal barriers external barriers and victim resistance that is what has to go through the mind of a perpetrator having confidence and empowering yourself is about the best mechanism that you can do while having the knowledge base of those four barriers and having some situational awareness sounds about right perfect okay one of our longer podcasts today huh how long did we go Eh, hour and a half. That's oh, yeah. okay. That's okay though. I mean, kind of needed your your blog was like a three parter, right? It was. Cool. Yeah. It takes a lot to unpack. Cool, cool. Okay. Well, we uh I you know, I kind of look forward to the comments and uh anybody who wants to talk to us about this and hopefully we can Hell clarify yeah. we didn't sound like too big of pigs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so okay. All right. Well, until next time, everybody, we'll see ya. Hey, thanks again, guys, for listening to these two meat-headed moronic miscreants blabber for about the last 90 minutes we hope you enjoyed the content we look forward to your feedback and comments on any episode topic any requests or improvements to the show you can let us know about anything Uh, you can find us on apple podcasts spotify youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts this episode was brought to you by alpha counseling and treatment alpha provides clinical treatment case management and peer support for clients involved in the criminal justice system Check out our website at utahsbesttherapy.com. We'd like to say in chat, but we're lying. See you, folks.